Hey everyone, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here and giving us about an hour of your time. We are, have been married for 14 years. We have four kids. Uh, we're in birthday season, but right now everybody is 11, 10, 9, 7, seven and 4, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. And the four-year-old was totally tripping because her foam thing didn't work very well today. Yeah. So we have conversations that just kind of span the gamut of life. Completely unscripted, and um, uh, hopefully it brings uh, some semblance of enjoyment and centerness to your world. You are not alone. People are weird and hard. And um, yeah, so um, yeah. Yeah. What's up? Uh, when you were naming the kids' ages, we so you guys, just, there's a couple of things that I was going to say that segue off of. We went to a Young Life fundraising banquet dinner last night that my dad was on the Young Life committee when I was young and continues to love and support the work that they do. And we, I have a question for you, JR, actually Mm -hmm. going off of that. Okay. Anyway, what, what made me think of it was you were listing the names of the ages of our kids and we bumped into somebody that went to our church years ago. They're a bit younger than we are right when we were coming in. And the party last night. Yeah. And yeah. The, and I I couldn't even remember how many kids they had because when they left our church, they only had one. Well, they're up to four. And I said, how, how old are your kids? And she says, roughly, I can't remember exactly, but she said, oh, they're eight, six, four, and two or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's nice and even. Ours are, and she said, oh, how old are yours? And I was like, okay, they're 11 just barely 10 but will the 11 will be 12 in a little bit ours were kind of every two years like you but right now we're in the really weird and she's like oh i didn't give you their exact ages i gave you what uh. they'll be when they all <laughs> when they all even out and i was like oh okay so ours are 12 10 8 and 5 yeah there you go <laughs> nice. or 12 10 8 and 4 rounding to when we finish birthday season on january 5th instead of all the wonky weirdness of oh you had two kids in one year no, we had two kids in 22 months, and it happens at their ages. But just kind of cracked me up that she's such a mama for that she was like, I, yeah, they're not exactly eight, six, four, and two. But that's, that's awesome. basically what they are when when it all, when the dust settles, that cracked me up. So then before I finished that rabbit trail and went on, on to a next one, the speaker, whom I, I don't know, our local Young Life, Seemed like he is a local leader or staff member. Did you know the guy who was? No, the had no idea who he was. Never, never seen him before. So anyway, I've been he, out of that world for a he, little bit. He he lists the formula that Young Life uses for their talks, which is he he said Jar was busy talking the whole time, so he missed this. But he said the formula is a hook. They give they tell a story that hooks the kids' attention. The book. They do something out of the Bible, and Young Life, if I understood him correctly, always works out of the Gospels, because if kids come and go just one time from Young Life, they want them to have heard something from the Gospel account of Jesus' life. So the hook, the book, the look, which is they want the kids to stop and examine something closely about who Jesus is and how that relates to their lives. And then the took is they want them, what's what's something you're going to take away from this? 
so he said that he's got these kids who are have a lot of addiction problems and really zero parental input in their lives and they were kind of mocking the end of one of his his talk whatever his talk was and so he challenged the kids as they took that to to ask God to speak to them and they were like, oh, okay, it's these three, a, a set of twins and one of their friends. And they were all in this dorky teenage way, like, okay, yeah, we'll ask God to speak to us. And he's like, no, like, I want you to actually seriously say, dear God, if you are there, please show yourself to me this week. And then he was in school the next Monday because he volunteers there. And these boys come rushing up to them and they're like, oh my gosh, we have to tell you this story. And did you catch any of this? Part of it. Some of it. So these guys say, oh my gosh, we have to tell you this story. It was hard for me to figure out what was the actual talk and what was the pregame because there was a lot going on. Well, this was the actual talk. And he said, he said, these boys came running up to him. And one of the things they like to do when they get high is go to the mall pet store. And I don't know that they're what mall pet store he's talking about. Anyway, they like to go to a pet store and they like to watch the fish. And imagine while they're high, what the fish are thinking and saying. Imagine conversations between the fish. That's hilarious. And so they're standing there imagining conversations between fish. And a woman walks up to them and she says something to the extent of, I can't remember exactly, but God sent me to talk to you because he told me that you were wanting to hear from him. And this is what he has to say to you. And she referenced specific addiction and relational problems that these three boys had. And then she said, can I pray for you? And they were like, uh, yeah. So she puts her hands on him. And the speaker says that these boys who have very, very hard lives said it was the closest thing to joy they've ever felt. And their whole bodies were tingling while she was praying over them. And then some more of their friends came into the pet store and she walked down an aisle and disappeared. They could not find her when they told their friends about it and went to look for her. Right? (laughs) This is is not your average Christianity that we sit in the pews with every Sunday, right? No, that's cool. So then these, these three boys tell this guy this story at school on monday afternoon and they've got campaigners which is the group Mm -hmm. meetings for those people who don't know young life there they've got a meeting that night where they have snacks and they play some silly games and they sing some silly songs and then they have the talk with the that formula and he says guys can i tell this story at campaigners tonight and they're like yeah it's really cool huh (laughs) so he tells the story at campaigners i love your high school boy yeah he he did a good job of telling he was a good storyteller he's a typical young life guy who connects with kids and tells good stories but so he's at campaigners that night and he tells the story and and that's part of his his challenge to the kids going away and then he 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 says while he's doing the closing prayer he gets an image in his mind of something that they often do at Malibu, which is a Young Life camp that, if you guys don't know Young Life, they one of their big things is camps where they send kids away with no phones, which is a big deal nowadays. 
and it's um it's all scholarships so they get this incredible camp experience it's not like your average church camp it's no, like this is a an island you can only get there by boat or by plane and but every young life massive, camp yeah, is yeah. phenomenal food fully weighted on um the the accommodations are more like a a hilton not like a five star but like a three star hotel not church camp with crinkly bedding, mat- oh, foam yeah. mattresses, like real mattresses. Just one step above Cancun. Nice accommodations. And so for the the idea is to give, their, one of their taglines, at least it used to be, was to give kids the best week of their lives. And of course, they're introduced to Jesus during that time. Well, at Malibu, when they're describing to kids the, um, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. They will have the kids go down to the side of, the river bay, I guess it's an inlet from the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, up in Canada. And the hobby kids pick up a rock and throw it into the water as in letting go of the old man. The old has gone. The new has come. You have to get rid of your old baggage and throw it, you know, as God Symbolically says. Symbolically throw it in the... Yeah. Right. As far as the east is from the west. So far have I removed your sin from me. So he gives this image, that going back to the last night, he gets this image in his mind of kids throwing rocks in the water and so he he finishes praying and he says, uh, if any of you have been touched by this story or want to hear from God or anything like that, meet me down at this, wherever they're meeting, there's water and like a dock next to it. He says, meet me down at the dock after we're all finished with this. And on your way down there, pick up a rock, because if you have baggage that you would like to give to Jesus to invite him to give you new life. In, instead of that baggage, I want you to throw a rock in the water. And this girl comes storming up to him after he closes it. And she's like, who told you about the rock? And he's like... I think this is where I started listening. Yeah. he's And she she's just insistent that somebody... She's buddies with these... She's partying friends with these kids who had been at the pet store. And I think and, his, his actual quote at the banquet last night is, who the F told you about the rock? Yes, who that's exactly F? what it is. Who the F told you about the rock? Which would be a great thing to hear in Dwayne Johnson's voice, right? Right, yeah. Only a completely different intonation. But she, so she insisted that somebody had ratted her out. Well, she's partying with these three boys on Saturday at one of their houses. And a stranger walked through the door of this house and handed her a boulder and said, you're going to need this later and left. <laughs> what? Right. God still works in miracles. And I'm this fairly is great to hear. Sure... I need to get out of my circle. Right. I'm fairly sure this guy is not making this stuff up. <laughs> no. For kicks. He's actually telling stories of saying God is working and maybe what for some of us who are at this young life banquet feel like are unorthodox ways. But in phenomenal ways that remind you how powerfully active God is in very unexpected ways in kids' lives. And I'm sure that these kids are still struggling with drugs, and I'm sure that their lives are not perfect. But at least according to his story, these four kids, the girl with the rock, and then who had brought it to campaigners with her. So the rock was in her purse Mm -hmm. while she was screaming at him for getting ratted out about the rock. I think she threw it into the water down at the dock. Uh, but whatever whatever the outcome of these kids' lives is, um, God is showing up and in 
engaging with them in a way that they need to be engaged with. You know what? Part of me wonders if America has moved. We are a post-literate society in a sense. We work Hmm. more in the realm of symbols and of emotion, Mm -hmm. much like societies in what we would have considered less civilized, less literate societies around the world. And, you know, when in the 90s, it was... God shows up in dreams. Well, you have to because you can't read. There's no Bibles for you. You can't read it. There's no Bibles or you can't read, you know, Mm -hmm. kids these days. And even this guy was like, look, this generation that we're working with is different than any generation I have ever. And he's probably our age is yeah. different. In fact, he did. He said he's 42. He, this, he said, this is a different type of kid than he has ever worked with before. The high school kids hmm. he's engaging with right now. And I just, when I was saying, you know, God works in these ways, I, I got a mental image of these Muslims who were in closed countries and have never had any contact with a Christian ever before. And Jesus appears to them in a dream. Right. And they understand their need for salvation and they seek out, and often it's Christian radio or something along those lines. They seek him out there. And the when I was, I guess it was the early 2000s, late 90s, when I first started hearing stories like this, although I'm sure they happen they they were happening before that but it kind of weirded me out and i was like nah and then the more i was engaged with christians who don't have this very rigid idea of how god works and the more i was like well that's wild but cool and uh, maybe <clears throat> god because america is moving into both a post-literate emotive less rational culture, God is changing the way he will engage with people to meet them where they are. Yeah. One of the things that really attracted me to, um, the, the reformed, uh, faith coming out of theological tradition. Yeah. The theological tradition coming out of, uh, the Reformation and moving away from Catholicism uh, the first time. The one of the things that really attracted me to that is not only is the historicity, like I can trace my faith all the way back to, you know, to the beginning with, you know, we've got all these in our Bible studies study, you know, we're going through a book by uh, Machen and we, he talked even uh, in this week's chapter about um, how the creeds, you know, doctrinal progression, doctrinal progression, where where doctrine has progressed through time, we haven't always got it all figured out now. We've probably got a lot of it, most of it figured out. But one thing I really appreciated about it is it wasn't, it made, it, it let God be God. Meaning it didn't confine God to a way of working in mm-hmm. a particular time, period, or place. Mm-hmm. God can do what he wants. He's God. If he, if he, he can put himself in a box, I guess. But it always didn't make, it didn't never made sense to me by saying, well, these are the boxes and how God works. And this is our interpretation. I'm, I'm not seeing it, you know, and it's like, I'm not seeing it in the world and I'm not seeing it in scripture. And it just doesn't make sense to me. So I appreciated the freedom with which, um, and this is going to sound weird coming from somebody who's, you know, holds to the Westminster confession, but, um, how the doctrine is actually in a lot of ways looser than some Arminian forms. 
Like mm. you've, God has more freedom in those interpretations than others. Hmm. To me, a little bit. I had an interesting conversation last night with a guy who went to, he was going to uh, the Presbyterian church we were going to for a while. Um, but he ended up going to Southern Seminary and graduated uh, seminary. And he's he kept using the phrase, um, what did he, uh, I'm convictionally, I'm convictionally a Baptist now. He's like, oh, so you're convictionally Presbyterian. I'm like, N- uh, I'm convictionally biblically Orthodox. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to die on a baptism hill. <laughs> I'm not going to die on an end times hill. <laughs> but, you know, if you want to debate the Trinity, I'll, di- I'll die on that hill, you know, type of thing. But it was just kind of funny because, you know, you, you know, have... not even even knowing who you're talking about. I'm like, oh, I went to seminary with a whole bunch of unmarried, mm. unexperienced, it just twenty something. It had it had a very who were ready very to eager, die on all sorts of hills. Eager, straight yeah. out of college. Hey, will sort you of vibe. go like this? You have probably now it's up here. It's a crumb from your bun from the slider you ate before we. Oh, came. you got it. Sorry, it's okay. Um, yeah, I've been working on the van, you guys, and I've been putting a radiant floor loop in the van, and. Um, it's challenging because it's sort of By a retrofit. By radiant floor loop, he means he's adding radiant heat to the floor of the van right. to keep it warmer and to keep the pipes from freezing in and the it, winter. It ties into the rest of the hydronic system, which is basically a closed loop liquid-based system where something heats the liquid, liquid heats a heat exchange, air exchange. Anyway, I'm tying into the whole system, and uh, I skipped lunch today because I was working and it hurt my brain a little bit can we talk about our our big life switch i don't know but i'm not done talking about the young life thing i the i thought you were done talking about the life thing this is what happens you guys when you don't plan the conversation you don't talk very much during the week yeah you just no i i was actually thinking more about the way that god may be moving into working in american culture um you know if you look at more animistic cultures They believe very powerfully in the spirit world. And of course there's spiritual warfare because you see demon possession in people. You see the work of demons in people's lives. And you think about an African animistic culture there, they live in constant fear of making the demons the spirits angry and much of their lives is oriented around keeping the angry, the spirits anger at bay. And so for them to, to imagine a world of spirits is, is completely natural where Americans in the 1990s, you know, we got really scintillated by Frank Peretti's books about spiritual warfare because it was so outside of the realm of anything we could think about and I think because of our enlightenment, rationalistic culture where we did away with thinking about the spirit world and everything was what's rational and what's physical and what we can touch and what and thus in our technological age, what we feel like we can control, the the spirit world in America was very much working in the way that screw tape letters des- describes, where the spirits are suggesting things but not showing themselves overtly as spirits because that's not going to deceive and convince us to work in a way that's contrary to God's ways. But now in America, I feel like we're getting far more pagan. We've got people who are openly 
uh, declaring themselves witches, even as government officials and whatnot. And so I think that I wonder if just thinking about, you know, God sending a random person (laughs) that then disappears in a pet store to have very specific message for people that, you know, these are kids who, because of their use of drugs and because of their being part of what in a lot of ways is a totally different culture than what we experience, even though we're living in the same town and breathing the same air, we're not drinking the same water because we drink well water and they drink city water. But basically, if we were to go swimming in the Yellowstone, we'd be swimming in the same water. And, you know, so God may be moving into working in a way that will viscerally make more sense to them because they live in a world with more animism and more paganism. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Uh, the other the other thing that I've been thinking about from the Young Life Banquet... I've been thinking a lot about the Young was, Life Banquet. What about all the things yeah. you thought about before the Young Life Banquet? I don't know. They're out of my brain. Out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> the show's content relates to what happened the night before. Last night. <laughs> what, we're going to entitle it About Last Night. Uh, Ooh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> no, uh, the at the end of it, I texted JR, who was sitting at the other end of the table. Hey, should we fill out a pledge card? And then we totally flubbed on doing it, but we can follow up and give online, which I think we should. Okay. But they... Uh, JR was like, well, what about what about the pronoun thing that he mentioned? And I was like, I don't know. But the, this pronoun thing that he mentioned was there's a person who comes to their campaigners very regularly whose name is AJ. And he said, my whatever, four-year-old, five-year-old son calls this person they J because AJ isn't sure if they are male or female and prefer they, them pronouns. And so we we've reorganized in a sense how we do campaigners because sometimes we'll break into guys go with these two guys and talk about this girls go with these two ladies and talk about this and so now we we divide them up differently so we're not alienating AJ and uh, AJ's mom heard that at camp uh, we you know we're gonna single them out and shame them or something and I assured the mom that that's not at all we're all about love and like genuine love and not forcing anyway aj apparently wants to go to camp and my i'm thinking what cabin is aj going to be in like there's a real binary in terms of cabins probably going to work that one campaigners is a lot different where you can say okay everyone on this side of the room go go with these leaders and this side of the room go with these leaders it's a little bit different when there are bathrooms yeah there's a question involved there's a question molly maybe you can answer this that i that i i don't i don't know that too many people are answering yet um how far do we go in accommodating um some of these new some of these new uh these new ways of thinking you know, with something like a parachurch organization, like Young Life, you know, they can obviously choose to say, okay, we're going to change actually how we do campaigners based on where culture is at now. But you can't do that in every context, and that only goes so far. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it comes to outreach, when it comes to, I'm specifically thinking of like church outreach, when it comes to uh, functions of ministry, like how, you know, how far how what's the what's a framework for thinking through like how far to take that how many adjustments do you make before you say sorry you just yeah that's just not what we do i I don't know 
I that was kind of my I was thinking a ton about that coming out of the comments about AJ because on the one hand he he said now now that we've gotten through be it was the same person he said AJ describes themselves as asexual meaning and and I got mm. to talk to AJ This was interesting. I got to talk to AJ a little bit some some at some point and understand what that means and AJ said that they have been hurt so much relationally have experienced a lot of loss and a lot of being a victim trauma that, trauma, that they feel completely unlovable and completely incapable of loving others ever that's the definition of asexual I don't think that's the technical definition of asexual. No. But, but I think it's a really honest definition of how somebody gets to that defi- to that place in life. Mm. That if they're being really honest, the it's the C. S. Lewis where he says what to to love or to be loved always means opening yourself up to being hurt. And the the only thing, you know, the C.S. Lewis quote, the mm-hmm. only thing that's going to protect you from that is to put your heart in a box where it will not get hurt, but it will shrivel up into nothingness. And I think that that definition of or that explanation of why someone would call themselves asexual probably has a lot to it that I'd never really thought about before. According to Wikipedia, the definition of asexuality is the lack of sexual attraction to others or low or absent interest in or desire for sexual activity. And and then that begs the question of how or why can someone get there when for centuries mm-hmm. philosophers have made their entire career based on trying to understand human sexuality and you know freud human sexuality drives everything about a person right and now all of a sudden we have a huge swath of i don't know about huge swath but enough that there's a a term for it and a number of people who describe themselves in this way in our culture how much trauma has happened in these people's lives that they have collectively come to a point of saying i I have zero sexual interest in anyone and think that I <laughs> anyone never but will. myself, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I it kind of makes me want like I was thinking too about along those lines of about your you had guys, Molly had sent me a message about a course she is taking that is specifically oriented towards the female uh, biology. Well, it, and, it may be a little bit more. That was weird. That was a weird statement. It's a pelvic floor. I don't know how much that, you want me to like talk about your okay, medical things on the show. <laughs> I, I don't have. I don't have a problem saying I've had four babies. I have, and I had four, eight and a half pound, close to eight and a half pound babies, and I am a five foot four woman, and an eight and a half pound baby coming out of a five foot four woman that, in a non cesarean way, wrecks parts of your body that used to be a lot tighter and used to not leak. <laughs> so anyway, so I gross. signed up for this online 
class. That's actually not nearly as graphic I as know. I could have been in describing this. I know. Sorry, people out there, if that was weird to you. Uh, no, so she's taking this class, and, and one of the questions I filled on the, out on an the form intake form for this physical therapist was, what's your preferred pronoun? And you kind of sent me a funny text like, really? This is a pelvic floor class. Like, it's really right. only one or the other. But it kind of made me wonder, too, like, it has nothing to do with, I mean, well, you know this, you're in this world every day. But it has nothing to do with your actual, it's all about what what, you're, what you think, what you think, what you feel, what you think. And it kind of reminds me of like, uh, you know, I, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Yeah. It's like, you should stop thinking. <laughs> you know? so, so Descartes actually got to that moment. And if you have read Truman's books, you guys will understand why Descartes said that. And it's because... Philosophers started dabbling in the question of what is humanity? What does it mean to be a person? And if they unlink being a person from being some a, a human being who is created specially in God's image. So specifically, if you unlink being a created being made in the image of God and all that we as believers understand that that entails in terms of relationship and capacity and moral capacity and uh, things like that, caretaking, language, all the things. When you eliminate that, these philosophers had this more this existential crisis, a literal existential crisis because that word means what does it mean for me to exist? Um, right? And Descartes, after Years and years of agonizing and thousands of pages of writing came to the conclusion that what it means for me to exist, I am, is that I am a thinking rational being. So to be a human being is to be a thinking rational human being. Yeah. So. I um, just, I, I, yeah, it, no, but it that, was that's, a funny, it was a funny, like, I think, therefore I am. Well, I think I am. A woman, therefore I am. That actually, I mean, the reason <laughs> Truman includes that in right. his lineage is because that is part of the pathway down to I, my reality is completely unhinged from physical reality. And I can say that I am a woman trapped in a man's body. And that makes sense to the people around me, which it wouldn't have 30, 50 years ago. Uh, the reason that I really, I started thinking about the Young Life thing was, yeah, there's all these questions. Like, what do you do at camp? What what does this, what does it look like to minister to this person? And these people at Young Life are on the ground. They're doing the work. And they're kind of, I can't think of a good metaphor, but they're on the front lines. You know, if a lot of these transgender people end up in the pews of a church, not many churches have pews these days, but you get where I'm going. If they end up sitting in a worship service on Sunday morning, it's probably going to be because of a relationship they've had with somebody who has loved them well right. in the trenches. And that means that I don't, I'm not going to sit back and take pot shots at this young life leader who's doing the thing. When I don't have relationships with any of the hurting youth who are struggling with their sexuality and have piles of trauma that have led them to a point of saying, I am unlovable and incapable of being loved. I don't have any relationships like that. I'm not going to sit back and tell him 
how to navigate a relationship with someone just because I happen to have read hundreds of pages of writing about transgender issues, I can sit back and lob, I will lob grenades all day long at the doctors who would try to medically transition this, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how old AJ is, 15, 16 year old AJ. Like I will, I will throw, I will more than throw hand grenades <laughs> all day long at those people because they are harming a kid. They are causing verifiable, objectable harm. I will even throw hand grenades at the therapist who is going to affirm AJ and say, you know, your what's going on in your mind is your reality and let's just move on from there. No. But somebody who in the name of Jesus is trying to help AJ understand that he, she, they is is loved and is capable of love and was actually, in fact, having been made in the image of a Trinitarian God who is relational by his very being. And thus, we are relational by our very being, having been made in the image and likeness of that God. Somebody who is relationally engaging with that person and letting them experience firsthand being loved and being lovable. You know what? Call them whatever they want (laughs) at this point. And yeah, do I, would I love to have a seat at the table in helping figure out how to integrate AJ into a church and help AJ move towards a place of reconciling his or her brain with his or her reality? Because that is also part of being made. God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. He created us male in his own image, female in his own image, own, own image. And those are, they're different and equal. And we dishonor how we were created and thus our creator by dissing how, how God specifically handmade us. But I think that that has to come later down the line after helping AJ feel loved for the first maybe the first time ever i don't i don't know i still don't know how that's going to look at camp i do have a burning question of what that looks like at camp and i i don't know i suppose that would be i i can't imagine that's the first time young life has dealt with will have dealt with that question they've probably got a policy or something in place yeah um I also, one more thing about last night, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a rabbit trail here. So you guys, JR on our Telegram channel started musing, asking people what the, you were specifically, I think, asking what the interactive forums should look like. Do people want more directed questions from us? Or- I was actually thinking just in terms of, of, of the too busy to flush brand. Like, oh, okay. So you were being us. that broad. Yeah, it was being that, that broad for sure. For sure. Okay. So anyway, the people threw out, a lot of people threw out the, uh, liking, let's see. I'm actually going to open it right now. Uh, a lot of people really like how we have the emphasis on, um, on just everyday life, working out all the issues that we encounter just in everyday life on a, uh, 
with a just distinctly Godward focus, and then also the the enjoy part. The enjoy piece yeah. that that we have this. Um, I think in our family culture, we have this determination that joy has to be part of the formula in living a Christian life, that sharing joy with others, that actually experiencing the joy of our salvation and that the joy of the Lord is our strength and that this can be experienced in, in fellowship. It can be experienced in physical activity that we enjoy. It can be experienced really, especially in food and drink that we enjoy and that these, these are good gifts from God meant to sustain us on a, on a difficult path. Uh, you asked about a couple of people said they really also enjoy lighter moments where we uh, are, you know, Just spontaneously laughing. Yeah. And, and that I can't remember who said, maybe it was, uh, yeah, Rachel said she enjoys laughing in the midst of hard topics and somebody, maybe it was Rachel. Anyway, somebody said liking stories and last night at the Young Life Banquet, there was a live auction and one of the elements in the live auction was a chest freezer full of, I don't know, a couple hundred pounds, I guess, yeah, of, pounds of beef. Meat. Pre-processed, you know, steaks, burgers. They give you all yeah, so it had the whole list on the side in the little brochure of what you would be bidding on. It had the whole list of, you know, you would be getting two flank steaks and this and this and this many pounds of ground beef and a chest freezer to just take it home and plug in, I guess. I was half expecting you to lift up your bidding card. Kind of funny. Um, I'm, I'm just expecting... Doing the math. Is this going to be cheaper than mine? Okay. I'm just... Then a new gun for you to shoot with an elk with. No, I'm expecting you to bring home a lot of elk for me to fill... That's, Our current freezers. That's the, hope. that's the plan. I told Marshall I, I was going to help him hunt, though. He's he just felt like he went out and wandered last year, and he needs some strategy. Which is so. fair. I'll spend some time with him. You'll you'll go in faith. That we'll come into a herd of thirty, and we'll you'll all each be able we'll, to we'll, shoot we'll, one. We'll fill our tags. And we'll be yeah. harvesting for two days. <laughs> uh, but but that brought up a very funny story, and here's my question for you before. I proceed to tell this funny story uh -huh. that's not my funny story to tell. Should we create a moment just when when it works on our podcast for people to record, like send you a voicemail of their own funny stories and we could just have a have a segment, if you will. We don't really do segments consistently, but if you get a funny story, for example, if our friend Ty were to send you a oh, voicemail man. about the beef that yeah. he bought at an auction, and and then we could have Ty tell everybody this story in his own words, and like right now, you would edit the yeah, edit to, it in. to cut it in. So I like, or do we just tell the story for Ty well, and no, laugh, I think, have a good I think laugh at Ty's a, I think expense everybody right now? Has, everybody has really funny stories. Um, I, as long as everyone understands that not everybody is a natural storyteller and humor is super, super subjective. So, you know, your punchline may not be a punchline, but I think that's really, that's really just in the setup of the whole story, you know, life. And this is what, so backing up to give you guys some context, um, 
A lot's been going on with me in the background. I'd applied for a job with the Gospel Coalition as their audio and video director for the U.S. That process was still in kind of in process, and there's just a lot of stuff going on, and I, I'm mentally moving on. But Because he applied in mid-August. I, I applied in mid-August. And then as I was uh, driving home, I was listening to, finally getting around to listening to the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which... I'll give you a review later, but it irritated the it irritated me a lot. When he was um, driving home from getting the Subaru. He got the Subaru. And, and, and there was a couple elements where I started putting, because obviously uh, Colin Hansen with the Gospel Coalition was on the Mars Hill podcast, and that's who I was working with for this job. And kind of looking at, and that really got my head framing. So for the last two months or so, I've really been, my mental space has been taken up a lot with, what does Christian media look like today? What resonates with people from, I mean, I put together an entire list that talked about how I would develop and frame, how I develop content, what kind of framework I would think it through and just develop, you know, kind of some of that stuff. Um, and it really got me thinking about the state of media today. And it occurred to me that there's not really a lot, there's a lot of small things like us, but there's really nothing you know, is is something like the Gospel Coalition even relevant anymore? You know, you have World Magazine, which does news. You have Christianity Today, which does their news. And otherwise, like, the whole era of these no, parachurch... There's the Gospel Coalition. And, I mean, it still gets enough hits that it's but the, relevant. But the whole, the whole concept also, of... Also, Pathios gets a decent number of hits. Pathios is not... Uh, Pathios is a name under a giant weird... You have to pay to... Did you know you have to pay to play there? Pathios asked Dead Reckoning to start posting content there. Mm -hmm. We had to pay them. They're one of yeah. those weird traffic driving things. Well, you come on here, we'll drive X amount of eyeballs to you. We're going to pay you to do it. Yeah, I'm just saying, it's like, mm. I see links from Pathios still right. relatively regularly. It's true. But my kind of thinking was just in terms of like content. What, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. So I was thinking about how do you break through? How do you. How do you resonate with people? And part of that is just understanding who you're talking to. So the question, and at the same time, uh, my friend Hadley um, had pitched me an idea that she'd been running around in her head. Like, apparently it was Columbus Day and she was, she's like, mm -hmm. I'm not working today. So I'm thinking about this. So I got this idea. And so she sent it to me and I was thinking about all this stuff kind of like swimmingly stirring in the pot in my brain. And I thought, well, what opportunity are there opportunities for too busy to flush that I'm not I'm not taking advantage of? Are there opportunities? And I know there's a lot of marketing things that I could be doing that I'm not, which I'm going to try to start doing better of. I was really good at it when we started. But are there other uh, avenues, outlets? Are there other voices? And so, kind of what I was asking the community on Telegram was like, what what other stuff do you really enjoy hearing, or would you really like to hear? Or even if we were to produce something else or do other things under too busy to flush, what would you what would you enjoy about that? And kind of the th the whole thing I got was I walked away from those comments for me, walked away from those comments thinking we loved the unscripted sort of real life thing, mm -hmm. but we love the emphasis on joy mm -hmm. in the Christian walk. And I think some in remember, really tangible ways, in really tangible ways, because I, and I, it, the framework that the mental framework that I had for that, the mental context I had for that comment was the world is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity, increasingly uh, fractured. And the, kind of the messaging I receive most days is one of like, well, the Christian, we're, we're persevering, we're enduring, it's a battle, we're waging war. We're do And it's like, that's not fun. None of that is fun. 
And the joy comes in the fact that you're living and the only way to really like to share that joy is or to gain joy in some of these things is to be involved in a community. And that's when it all circled back around for me to kind of that theme of being around the table for us that we've had kind of in our lives. Mm -hmm. Like that's where you foster a joy in a difficult society, a difficult culture and a difficult world. You're walking together with life in all of its weirdness and hardness, you know? And I, so I was kind of just musing about all of that. All that stuff is in, is Mm -hmm. milling around in my pot, in my head. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that has to be around a table per se. Although, well, the idea was it, community. Far be it from me the to denigrate enjoying Local good church, food with other people. Yes, yeah. uh, I. So, I'm just gonna stick this out here and then move on to the other things that are actually that I had, which are actually a segue from what you were just talking Perfect. about. I do. I'm sitting here with two books, but either book. either book. you guys at the end of this show. JR is going to have a recording from our friend Ty about <laughs> the beef that he bought at a live at a fundraising auction, or you will have a cliffhanger and next week we will spill the beans for him if he doesn't want to tell the story himself. Because it's really funny. It is really funny. I but that's funny. this is gonna be a cliffhanger for right now. Uh and if you guys have funny life stories where you're like it really, this only happens to me, or this th- truth is stranger than fiction, and you think that it would bring other people in our little weird and hard corner of the world that is pers- re- is passionate about pursuing joy. Let's, let's, let's give it a shot. We can do whatever yeah, we want. Like so said, here's the thing. I think if you call, uh, if you call my Google voice number, um, how should I do this? Because I actually answer that number. And use it for things. Let me work up something where you guys could call in somewhere and leave a message that then I could didn't. But if you call, if you send download. send a, send Jr. that Google voice number that Jr. lists at the end of the show, mm-hmm. send him a text and say, "I'm about to leave you a voice." Oh yeah, mail. there we go. Yeah, don't pick up don't from pick this up. number the next time a phone call comes through. Four zero six three one eight seven one three six. And feel free to record it as many times as you want, or send me multiple stories. <laughs> That'll be there fun. you go. So, in relation, we are we are not the first ones in the world to ever believe that joy has to be an important component of the Christian faith. This morning, in the kids' read aloud for school, I read to them from this book called Trial and Triumph by Richard Hanala, stories from church history, which came from. Uh, with our my father's world curriculum this year and it this today's story was about john bunyan who i was very proud of titus because it starts this three-page summary of john bunyan's nope four-page summary of john bunyan's life starts with the first paragraph from pilgrim's progress Mm -hmm. and i read it and i said kids what what's that from and lily's like i have no idea and titus goes that's pilgrim's progress and i was like wow I'm not failing at all the things educationally with you. Phew. Good. Anyway, so John Bunyan, very brief history of his life. Some of you guys probably know it. He was born in 1628, died in 1688. He was a traveling tinker, which I think is someone who would repair people's metal cups and things Mm. like that. 
And he leaned against a shop window, cursing loudly, and a poor woman wagged her finger in his face and said, you are the most ungodly fellow for swearing I've ever heard. And and he was cut to the bone and racked with guilt for weeks. And then he determined to turn his life around. He stopped swearing cold turkey. He started reading his Bible. And then he walked around really puffed up because he could talk with the best of them about the Bible and he was so proud of his new life in Christ and so proud of everything he knew and so proud of how upright he was. And he says he walked by a house in a town called Bedford. And Hi, Addie. <laughs> Sorry. That's her last name. And he says he, says he came upon some women's, women sitting on a porch taking a short break from their labors. And he overhears them talking about God. So he kind of sidles up thinking, hmm, I can talk about God. I like to, I'm good at talking about God. He sidles up and he says, now I heard them, but I'm, I'm going to paraphrase out of his old English. I heard them, but I couldn't understand them. They were talking way above me. They were talking about new birth, the work of God in their hearts. They spoke as if joy did make them speak. They spoke with such pleasantness of scripture language and with such appearance of grace in all they said that they were to me as if they had found a new world. And so Bunyan is stricken for the second time by hearing a woman speak. But this time, he he's just attracted to them like moth to, a moth to light. And he goes up to them and he's like, you have to teach me what is this about God and your faith? Because I've never heard people speak in this way before about God and their faith. And he, because even with his pride and being puffed up, he's still wrecked with fear and doubt. And they're like, hey, you need to talk to our pastor. So they go introduce him to their pastor who mentors him. And under his tutelage, Bunyan becomes the incredible soldier of the Lord. You know, you talk about marching onto war. Well, Bunyan lived at a time when King Charles II is pushing laws through that criminalize being outside of the Church of England. And the nonconformists are like, no, 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 we're not going to do church in your bad way. We're going to do it in our way. And he um, he's imprisoned, like church service he does is busted into. He's imprisoned for 12 years. Then King Charles is like, well, I'll give you guys a permit and you can preach the way you want with my permission. So he gets released on that. And then Charles II reneges on that. And I think six months later, no, three years later, Bunyan's back in prison. And he, it was during the six months that he was in prison for the second time that he wrote all of the Pilgrim's Progress. But, um... I just, I was reading that again, like thinking of the conversation that we had had on Telegram about how valuable it is to be talking about deliberately integrating joy and pursuing joy in your life. And here is someone in the 1620s, so 400 years ago almost, who, well, not quite 400, he was born in the 1620s, uh, but four, 400 years ago, more or less the story of his conversion essentially is that he is as cs lewis says in the mid 20th century surprised by joy that what captured his heart was not 
being convicted of his sin, but mm. the joy of his salvation. <clears throat> and it was the attractiveness of hearing these women who weren't preaching at him. They were just doing <laughs> what I would like to imagine would be a couple of moms taking a break from whatever they're doing, talking about what God is doing in their lives. And hearing that is so attractive to him that he can't help but want what they have. Well, it's, you live in a disconnected... I mean, the obvious application of that for me is you live in such a disconnected virtual world now. You end up having yourself and some of your Christian friends over for dinner. And on top of that, you invite some people who you know from else. Like, hey, I've got a... And I've always thought this would be, you know, just have regular weekly dinners where you always have an excuse to invite somebody over. Mm -hmm. Hey, come over to the house on Friday. We've got a dinner going on. And you, as as a Christian will experience joy because you're with other people that believe the same thing, have the same hope as you, and you can share life with them. And then those on the outside will look in and see that and ideally be surprised by joy. I don't have, if I'm left too much to my own devices and my own self, I don't have a lot of joy in life. When I'm with other people, when I'm at, when I'm at church, when I'm doing a small group, when I've got just a dinner with other like-minded believers that's you know, where just, your joy yeah so you're an extra or like greg or like greg stops over and says hey or i'm out with my kids traveling through so you're an extrovert no it's <laughs> not where i'm going with that why do you got to strip everything i'm not just, stripping it i have this thing and you're like take it away all right no you you experience Go ahead, it's your show you your are show. no it's not you are experiencing joy as you are imaging the trinitarian god in relationships but an introvert can't do that. An introvert would probably not say the only place I experience joy is with other people. Fair. <laughs> an introvert would be. Like, I don't experience a lot of joy I just by myself. Well, a lot of delight. I mean, sitting with a glass of ice cold something in the shade on a summer day, reading a book. If I'm in my studio, I have a lot of joy, and I'm usually by myself. I that makes me think of what's who's the chariots of fire guy he says when I run Eric Eric, Liddell when I run I feel God's pleasure he's doing Mm -hmm. something that God created him to do and he's excelling at it and he's feeling the delight of his I'm trying to make an argument for more local people involvement in doing that I know but I it's an extrovert thing it's fine. No, it's fine. I mean, I need somebody to tear down my arguments. No, more local people involvement is important, but it's not all there is. I mean, there's to, a lot of different uh, keys and facets to experiencing a life of delighting in the Savior. You know, somebody in solitary confinement in prison uh, can sing praises to the Lord. That is not a categorically even the same, like... I, but if you're saying you can only experience the joy of the Lord... There's a difference between being forced into isolation and choosing isolation. Agreed. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree with that. You... Cannot and should not be a lone wolf Christian. And I think it's going to get harder to find joy, enjoyment in life. Like if you're a lone wolf Christian, the farther we get down the cultural path. Yep. You, so Bunyan actually, this cracks me up that this is in the story, but it cracks me up that apparently it's reality. He, they kept saying while he was in prison, We'll let you out if you just promise not to preach. If you just promise not to hold worship services, we'll let you out. And he was like, no, you let me out. I'm holding worship services. 
But they would let him hold worship services in prison. So if I flip back to the page, the quote from it is, uh, he to do, um, anyway, I can't find it glancing through here right now, but I think he, he would invite other people from his congregation on Sundays to his prison cell and he would preach and hold worship services there. <laughs> and somehow that was like, they let that slide, even though he was, he couldn't do it's not it. Not the general masses. Maybe they believed way. that prisoners weren't worth anything. And so he no, but this like is the preaching was worth anything. I know. Coming... So it's like, you know what? You can waste your time on the prisoners. They have, they're meaningless. People yeah. outside the prison though are worth something. Um, I think so. People who know me in person, some anyway, maybe not as many as I think know that I love singing the doxology at the conclusion of things and faith loves to have the doxology sung to her in Spanish every night before she goes to bed. Cause I taught it to some homeschool co-op kids a couple of years ago. I just love the doxology. I love the idea of the doxology. I love concluding things with such an overarching, uh, message of praise to, the god of everything literally praise i like the monkish uh the monkish way it's sung <laughs> so i th- another thing that i read to the kids this morning was the 1636 the story of the hymn now thank we all our god and i i went to play the song for the kids and almost every single link that i found for it on youtube was an organ mm-hmm. it's very much an old, it's German, so it makes sense that Lutherans sing it. And immediately play, click play on a YouTube video. If you just do a search on YouTube for now, thank we all are God, you get meh, 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 only really loud. <laughs> and I'm my apologies, everyone out there who loves organ music. Organ music is amazing. It is not my heart language, so I, shall I say. I think organ music is an acquired taste in the and it's like an acquired from birth you grow into that <laughs> taste from birth. if you're born into an organ playing you're born into it you're born it's into cool. it and every now and then somebody gets grafted into loving organ music when they're older and they develop the taste for it but more or less in my humble uncivilized opinion i'm still i don't okay good love it i found and i sent to jr a version of it that's a guy his his handle on youtube and i think his uh he has his identity his ego his uh well alias yeah i mean it it's reawaken hymns is the is that you know if you were looking up on itunes or something it and there's one version that he has there's one where it's piano and it sounds a little organy if you're sensitive to that his acoustic guitar version though is lovely and to me strikes me as something that our family could get into singing and what triggered that thought in me was uh in this i'm now reading from a book called then sings my soul which is stories of 150 of the world's greatest hymns by robert j morgan there's a zillion how to do devotional style hymn studies with your kids books but this is the one that came with our curriculum this year, and it starts out with talking about verses in the Bible about giving thanks. And there's a great quote that it doesn't uh, 
give a reference to who said it, but it is a grateful mind is a great mind, which is an interesting thing to think about. And he, then it tells a story about a Lutheran pastor in a little village called Eilenberg. His name is Martin Rinkart. And he was a pastor just as the Thirty Years' War began raging in Germany. And the Thirty Years' War, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it's not clear. But my understanding of the Thirty Years' War is essentially there was a change of power. Kind of the Holy Roman Empire is starting to fade away. And there's an exchange of power where somebody who is Catholic comes to power in Bohemia. I don't even know what that is in modern, on a modern map. And he decides he's going to wipe out all of the Protestants. And somewhere, they don't know exactly, but somewhere between 4 and 8 million people died in Europe as a result of this war that was predominantly uh, Pope-backed and Holy Roman Emperor-backed uh, forces wiping out entire Protestant villages. And... Bohemia is the westernmost and largest historical region of the Czech Republic. Okay. How is that tied to Bohemian? The Bohemian Rhapsody? I'm no. Just a poor no, the whole idea from... of Bohemian being somebody who's involved in the arts. He's very Bohemian. Uh, I, it's not related to Bohemia at all? Um, no, so I feel like maybe it has like a gypsy relationship because gypsies no. were people who had kind of a Bohemian ethos and aesthetic who traveled around being artsy and. Okay. What not? Uh, so anyway, uh, Rinkhart, there's he lives in Eilenburg, and the Swedish army surrounds his entire city, and floods of refugees streamed into it. It's walled. Uh, Eight hundred homes were destroyed. People began dying because of sickness that's now spreading as they're weak and they're lacking food and water. And they're all crammed in together and they don't have homes. And the pastors expend all their strength in preaching the gospel, caring for the sick and dying and burying the dead, are one by one dying. And eventually all of the pastors in this little town die except Martin Rinkart. And some days he conducted as many as 50 funerals. Finally, the Swedes demanded a huge ransom. Martin Rinkart left the safety of the city walls to negotiate with the enemy and it's said that he did it with such courage and faith that that led to the conclusion of the hostilities. Uh, and then I love this phrase. Rinkart, knowing there is no healing without thanksgiving, composed this hymn for the survivors of Eilenburg. There is no healing mm. without thanksgiving. That's a really profound thing to think about. And it has been sung around the world ever since. And earlier it says that German Christians sing this hymn like American believers sing the doxology. And it's, there are very few hymns that are just pure hymns of thanksgiving and praise. And this is one of them. And it's got great lyrics. And I will send JR the link to the acoustic version that I liked so much. So you, you guys. You did send it to me already. I'll I know, because I told you you should learn it. it on guitar. I'll work on it. And anyway, so if you get the chance, go look up Now Think We All Are God. Also, as long as we're talking music, I was just playing an autoplay YouTube list, whatever it felt like playing next for mm -hmm. me, which sometimes can be dangerous, but it's got my algorithm down. 
And <clears throat> City of Light has a new song out. You have a whole new record out. Okay. Well, this I've this... been listening to it for weeks now. Okay. So Lovely. The one, the Psalm 42 one. That one's good too. It's I don't really know good. if that's on their record. That's their most recent single. So, but they also released a new record this anyway, year. Anyway, I'm going to have JR share a link in the show notes to the Psalm 42 New City of Light song because I really like it. Okay, guys, speaking Molly of Germany, I want our listener in Germany. I have stats. <laughs> we know you're there. We know you're there. We have, we have a very regular listener in Germany. Tell me if that's true. Um, I want to know who you are, too. I also want to hear from the following listeners. Spain. France. Great Britain, somewhere in there, United Kingdom, somewhere in Northern Ireland, one of you guys. We also have a, a semi-regular listener in Brazil, one in Liberia, one in Singapore, and one in the Netherlands. Those are our top 10 countries. Of course, we have a, we have a pile of Canadian listeners, Oh, we know too. who Liberia is. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. We know who Liberia is. You're She just recommended, by the way, you guys... On Telegram, a book called Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nairi. And she says, uh, go read it now. You can thank me later. Cool. So I'm going to add that to my my to-read <clears throat> list, hopefully. We have trusted people. We'll take reference recommendations. Absolutely. Here's another fun stat, you guys. The number one time of day to download our shows is 9 a.m. Is everybody going to work or do they all like, they start working with the podcast is, on? Is that, is that a time that like Apple would just no, automatically no, download it's just, it? No, it's all, oh. it's all over the map. So I think it's, <laughs> anyway. Um, That's it. I got to go make dinner. Yeah. So, okay. What are we having for dinner? Uh, I'm hoping to, oh, I was going to recommend a recipe to everybody with the harvest season coming up, whether you celebrate Halloween or or not, or Reformation Day, or whatever. Mel's Kitchen Cafe has a fantastic pumpkin chili recipe that I love, is a standard for us. It's just got a great flavor, easy to throw together. I do not love pumpkin stuff, and it just adds a nice, rich smoothness to to the base of it. And dinner tonight is curry and rice, just a simple red Mm. curry. Sounds good. That's it. Okay. So I'll send you that cool. pumpkin chili link. All right. And if you guys have anything you want to send us, again, if you have a story, a really humorous life story that you would love to share, um, hit up this number, 406-318-7136. I do actively use that number. Shoot me a text maybe first and say, hey, I'm about to record something. Then I won't pick up. Otherwise, you know, generally, if I don't recognize it, I let it go to voicemail. So there's that. Um, 406-318-7136. We'll try out this new feature on the show. We'll kick it off with uh, Ty's story next week. Um, and if you'd like to send us an email, tb, the number 2f, tb2f at pmpapamike.me. Shoot us an email there. Um, the number one way people like to communicate with us is by far and away Telegram. So if you'd like to down, if you want to download the app, and jump on the Telegram group. I will include a, uh, a link, private link for that. Um, we do have, I noticed, uh, our website stuff comes with a... Uh, with a, um, a forum. A forum. Yeah, it comes with a forum, which would be kind of... Might be an interesting thing to try out. So if anybody wanted to test out a forum, let me know. And we can play around with that. See if it, see if it might. Because we're, we're getting big enough sometimes to the point where we kind of lose track of things but i don't know maybe it's fine i don't know 
I don't know. I'm just trying to trying to trying to trying to serve you guys well. Um, our website www.toobusytoflush.com. I think I think is reactive again. We we had some issues with the domain. Um, I'm actually I'm gonna look at it right now because I don't even I don't even know. I forgot to even look at that this week. Um, yeah, our website's loading just fine, so we're good there. Um, that's helpful. It was down for a little while, and it wasn't our fault. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's all I got, Molly. Okay, that's all I got, too. TooBusyOfFlush.com. You can listen to some episodes, read our ridiculous bios, send us a postcard, um, or buy some swag. I haven't put up any new swag. Um, like I said, I've really just dropped the ball and really trying to hustle the show. I'm not a very good show hustler. What happened to me in the years? Is it worth it? Is it worth hustling the show? I don't even know. There's so much content out there. It's so noisy. Stop having an existential crisis. You speak, therefore you are. I can fly. I'm going to go jump off the roof. Speak it into being. Live in faith. <laughs> Be like God. Speak it into being. All right, guys. We'll see you hopefully next, next week. week.